0: Hello, welcome to the Project Awakening podcast. This episode, our first episode, we will be hearing a reading of Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now, read by David McElwain. We hope you enjoy. Hey, hi you guys. So, uh, thought I would read, Uh, haven't actually been reading for quite a while, Uh, You know, publicly, and and um, this book has (laughs) has just keeps coming up as the book to read, and and uh, I I read it years ago. Anyway, it's called The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle, and and uh, um, it's it was you know I think it's a bit of a classic, really. Uh, It's certainly a high vibration book, and and uh, it's longer than I remember uh, when I'm looking at it now, Uh, but. Anyway, for weeks, since we finished uh, Letting Go, the book Letting Go, i have been thinking I wanted to do this. and, and uh, um, cause I got so much out of reading the last book. And, uh, so here we go. Um, um, uh, tell me, have any of you read this book before? Eckhart Tolle. He starts out, uh, You are here to enable the divine. Purpose of the universe, the divine purpose of the universe to unfold. That is how important you are. So that's his little foreword, Eckhart Tolle. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to read the preface to the paperback edition. Maybe. What do you think? Yeah, maybe we'll read it. Uh, It says here: Six years after it was first published, the power of Tao continues to play its part. In the urgent task of transformation of human consciousness, so I, I really, uh, I really believe that at this time that 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 uh, human consciousness is transforming. I think that we're seeing it. And the the more I'm involved in helping people create meditation spaces, the more I realize how it really is happening. And and uh, not just that people are meditating, but that people are so open to uh, to you know. Um, Spirituality and so open to consciousness and so open to um, finding uh, the answers, you know, inside of themselves. So it's pretty cool. So we're on uh, actually in the Roman numerals. They were on uh, um, page thirteen. The Roman numerals. It says, uh, although I was privileged to give birth to it, I feel that the book has taken on a life and momentum of its own. So he's talking about six years after the the uh, hardcover came out. This is the Uh, preface to the paperback edition. It has reached several million readers worldwide, many of whom have written to me to tell of the life-changing effect it has had on them. Due to the extremely high volume of correspondence I receive, I am regretfully no longer able to send personal replies. But I would like to take this opportunity to express my deepest gratitude to all those who have written to me to share their experience. I am moved. deeply touched by many of these accounts and they leave no doubt in my mind that uh, my unprecedented shift that an unprecedented shift in consciousness is indeed happening on our planet and and I I believe that's a fact I think it's as much for me as it is for you guys but uh, let's do it together hopefully you guys have copies of that if you don't you can go uh, I think I have a link in in, on my website you you can go on to and order a copy and um, I think we make a whole $1. thirty-five if you do that. So, anyway, uh, dig out your old copy. Second paragraph, here we go. Nobody could have predicted the rapid growth of the book uh, when uh, Namaste Publishing in Vancouver published the first edition of 3,000 copies in 1997. And I think it was probably around that time that I first met Eckhart Tolle. E Tolle. And He came to Calgary, and he was this funny little man, and and uh, you know I went to see him and met him and and uh, spent uh, uh, Like a I think a whole Sunday with him. It was really cool um, uh, During its first year of publication the book found its readers uh, almost exclusively through word of mouth uh, That was the time when I would personally deliver a few copies every week to some small bookstores in Vancouver something I found enormously satisfying, knowing that every book that I handed over had the potential of changing someone's life. Friends uh, helped by placing copies of the book in spiritual bookstores further afield, like in Calgary and Seattle and California and London. And And then he says, Stephen Gautry, the manager of Watkins, the world's oldest metaphysical bookstore in, in London, England, wrote at the time, I foresee great things for this book. He was right. By the second year, The Power of Now had developed into an underground bestseller. As one reviewer later called it, as one reviewer later called it, underground bestseller. Then, after the book received a number of favorable reviews in various journals and magazines, its growth accelerated and finally became explosive when Oprah Winfrey, who had been deeply affected by the book, proceeded to tell the world about it. Five years after it was first published, it reached number one on the New York Times bestseller list. and it is now available in 30 languages. It's been very well received and it became a bestseller even in India, a country considered by many to be the birthplace of humanity's quest for spiritual enlightenment. Hmm. Cool. Most of the thousands of letters and emails that have been sent to me from all over the world are from ordinary men and women. But there are also letters from uh, Buddhist monks and Christian nuns and from people in prison or facing a life-threatening illness or, or imminent death and uh, psychotherapists have written to say that they recommended the book to their patients uh, or incorporated the teachings in their practice many of these of those letters and emails mention uh, a lessening or even a complete disappearance of suffering and the problem-making Uh, in people's lives as a result of reading the power of now and putting the teachings into practice in everyday life. Uh, There is frequent mention of the amazing and beneficial effects of inner body awareness, the sense of freedom that comes from letting go of self-identification with one's personal history and uh, life situation. I like that. The sense of freedom that comes from letting go of self identification with one's personal history and life situation, and a newfound inner peace that arises as one learns to relinquish mental and emotional resistance to the suchness of the present moment. Oh, I like that. Many people uh, have read the book more than once, and their comment. Uh, that the text loses none of its freshness upon subsequent readings. In, uh, indeed, that the book's transformational power remains not only under-diminished, but actually becomes intensified. So I guess, I, I, I don't know if this is my second time through this book or third, but it's been several years, I can tell you that. and, and uh, So I'm looking forward to reading it uh, uh, again for for you guys and and, uh, and for me. It would be real fun if you read along. Anyway, we're still in the forward. (laughs) Uh, The more the dysfunction of the human mind plays itself out in the world stage, clearly visible to everyone in the daily television news reports, the greater the number of people who realize the urgent need for a radical change in human consciousness. If humanity is not to destroy both itself and the planet. So, awesome. This need, as well as... um, Readiness in millions of people for the arising of the new consciousness is the context within which the success of power from now, the power of now, must be seen and understood. That's cool. This does not mean, of course, that everyone responds favorably to the book. Uh, in in many people, as well as in most of the political and economical uh, structures, the greater part of them and the greater part of the media the old consciousness is still deeply entrenched. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyone who's still totally identified with with the voice in their head, um, identified with the voice in their head, the stream of involuntary and incessant thinking, I call that inner dialogue, will eventually fail to see, will inevitably uh, fail to see what the power of now is all about. Some enthusiastic readers give a copy of the book to a friend or relative and were surprised and disappointed when the recipient found it quite meaningless. They could not get beyond the first few pages. Mumbo-jumbo was all that Time Time magazine could see in a book that countless people around the globe found life-changing. Furthermore, any, any teaching that puts the spotlight of attention, any teaching that puts the spotlight of attention uh, on the workings of the ego will necessarily uh, provoke egoic reaction, resistance, and attack. However, despite a certain amount of misunderstanding and critical dissent, the response to the book around the globe has been overwhelmingly positive. I feel confident that in the years to come millions more will be drawn to it and that the power of now will continue to make a vital contribution to the arising of the new consciousness in a more enlightened humanity. This was written by Eckhart Tolle, Vancouver, BC, in uh, 2004 when this uh, paperback came out. Okay, we're in the introduction. The origin of this book. This is Eckhart Tolle. I have little use for the past and rarely think about it. However, Uh, I would briefly like to tell you how I came to be a spiritual teacher, and how this book came into existence. Until my 30th year, I lived in a state of almost continuous anxiety, interspersed with periods of suicidal depression. Uh, It feels now as if I am talking about some past lifetime, or somebody else's life. One night, not long after my 29th birthday, I woke up in the early hours with a feeling of absolute dread. I had woken up with such a feeling many times before, but this time it was more intense than it had ever been. The silence of the night, the vague outlines of uh, the furniture in the dark room, the distant noise of a passing train, everything felt so alien, so hostile, and so utterly meaningless that it created in me a deep loathing of the world. The most loathsome thing of all, however, was my own existence. What was the point in continuing to live with this burden of misery? Why carry on with this continuous struggle? I could feel that a deep longing for alienation, for non-existence, uh, was now becoming much stronger than the insistent than the instinctive desire to continue to live. I cannot live with myself any longer. This was the thought that kept uh, repeating itself in my head. Then suddenly I became aware of what a peculiar thought it was. Am I one or two? If I cannot live with myself, then there must be two of me. And I, and the self that I cannot live with, maybe I thought only one of them is real. Am I one or two? If I cannot live with myself, there must be two of me. The I and the self that I cannot live with. Okay, I get that. Maybe I thought that only one of them is real. I was so stunned by this strange realization that my mind stopped. I was fully conscious, but there was no more thoughts. Then I felt drawn into what seemed like a vortex of energy. It was a slow movement at first, and then accelerated. I was gripped by an intense fear. My body started to shake. I heard the words, resist nothing, as if spoken inside my chest. I could feel myself being sucked into a void, and it felt as if the void was inside myself rather than outside. Suddenly, there was no more fear. I let myself fall into that void. I had no recollection of what happened after. I have no recollection of what happened after that. Cool. Um, I was awakened by the chirping of a bird outside of the window. I had never heard such a sound before. My eyes were still closed, and I saw the image of a uh, precious diamond. Yes, if a diamond could make a sound, this is what it would be like. I opened my eyes. The first light of dawn was filtering through the curtains. Without any thought, I felt, without any thought, I felt, I knew that there is infinitely more to light than we realize. That soft, luminating filtering uh, through a curtain was love itself. Tears came into my eyes. I got up and walked around the room. I recognized the room, and yet I knew that I had never truly seen it before. Everything was fresh and pristine, as if it had just came into existence. I picked up things, a pencil, an empty bottle, not marveling at the beauty and aliveness of it all. That day, I walked around the city in utter amazement at the miracle of life on earth, as if I had just been born into this world. For the next five months, I live in a state of uninterrupted deep peace and bliss. After that, it diminished somewhat in intensity or perhaps it just seemed to because it uh, became my natural state. I could still function in the world, although I realized that nothing I ever did uh, could possibly add anything to what I already had. I could still function in the world, although I realized that nothing I ever did could possibly add anything to what I already had. Beautiful. I knew, of course, that something profoundly significant had happened to me, but he didn't understand it at all. I was not It wasn't until several years later, after I had read spiritual texts and spent time with spiritual teachers, that I realized that what everybody was looking for had already happened to me. I understood that the intense pressure of suffering, I understood that the intense pressure of suffering that night must have forced my consciousness to withdraw from its identification with the unhapply, unhappy and deeply fearful self, which is ultimately a fiction of the mind. Hmm, the bullshit story. Mm-hmm. This withdrawal must have been so complete that this false suffering self immediately collapsed just as if a plug had been pulled out of an inflatable toy. Uh, What was left then was my true nature as the ever-present I am. Consciousness in its pure state prior to identification with form. The true ever-present I am, which is consciousness in its pure state prior to identification with form. Later, I also learned uh, to go into that uh, inner timeless and deathless realm that I had originally perceived as a void and remained fully conscious. I dwelt in states of indescribable bliss and sacredness that even the original experience I just described pales in comparison. A time came when, for a while, I was left with nothing on the physical plane. I had no relationships, no job, no home, no socially defined identity. I spent almost two years sitting on park benches in a state of most intense joy. <laughs> That's fun. His, his story is that he did most of that in Vancouver. But, when, but even the most beautiful experiences come and go. More fundamental, uh, perhaps, than any experience in the uh, undercurrent of peace. More fundamental, perhaps, than any experience is the undercurrent of peace that has never left me since then. Sometimes it is very strong, almost palatable, and others can feel it too. And others can feel it too. At other times it is somewhat in the background, like a distant melody. Sweet. Later, people would occasionally come up to me and say, I want what you have. Can you give it to me or show me how to get it? And I would say, you have it already. You just can't feel it because your mind is taking is making too much noise. (laughs) Uh, That answer later grew into a book that you're holding in your hands, The Power of Now. Here we go. I'm excited to be reading this finally. I'm just stoked. Um, Before I knew it, I it, uh, I had an external identity again. I had become a spiritual teacher. Isn't that fun? So, this book represents the essence of my work. As far as it can be conveyed, in, as far as it can be conveyed in words, uh, it's so it's true. You know, when, when you find that space, is, there's nothing to call it. You know, um, we call it lots of things. Um, you know, uh, universal intelligence, the void, God, lots of things. Being present in the moment, pretty friggin' cool. And uh, I encourage you, you know, through meditation uh, to practice this. And I think he'll talk in this book about meditation. Um, Okay, this book represents the essence of my work as far as it can be conveyed in words with individuals and small groups of spiritual seekers uh, during the past 10 years in Europe and North America. Uh, In deep love and appreciation, I would like to thank... Those exceptional people for their courage, their willingness to embrace interchange, their challenging questions, and their readiness to listen. This book would not have come into existence without them. They belong to what is, as yet, a small but fortunate growing minority of spiritual pioneers, people who are reaching a point where they uh, become capable of breaking out of out of inherited collective mind patterns that have kept humans in bondage uh, to suffering for years, for eons. Well, I trust that this book will find its way to those who are ready uh, for such radical inner transformation and so act as a catalyst for it. I also hope that it will reach many others who will find uh, the content worthy of consideration, although they may not be uh, ready to fully live or practice it it is possible that at a later time uh, the seed that was sown when reading this book will merge uh, with the seed of enlightenment that each human being carries within and suddenly that seed will sprout and come alive within them pretty cool so it is uh, what a great intent you know this book in its present form originated often spontaneously in response to questions asked by individuals in seminars, meditation classes, and private counseling sessions. And so I have kept the question and answer format. Uh, I learned and received as much in those classes and sessions as the questioners. Some of the questions and answers I wrote down almost verbatim. Others are generic, which is to say I combined certain types of questions that were frequently asked into one, and extracted the essence from uh, different answers to form one generic answer. Sometimes, in the process of writing, an entirely new answer came that was not prof- that was more profound or insightful than anything uh, I had ever uttered. Uh, some additional questions were asked by the uh, editor uh, so as to provide further clarification on certain points. So he's. This is still the introduction to the book, and then he's describing how he he got to this point. You'll find that from the first to the last page, the dialogues continuously alternate between, uh, between two different levels. On one level, I draw your attention to what is false in you. I speak of the nature of human unconsciousness and dysfunction. As well as its most common behavioral manifestations, um, from conflict in relationships to warfare between tribes and nations. Such, such knowledge is vital, for unless you learn uh, to recognize the faults as faults, as not you, there can be no lasting transformation, and you would always end up being drawn back into illusion and into some form of pain. On this level, I also show you how not to make that which is false in you into self and into a personal problem. For that is how the false uh, perpetrates itself. Wow, that's pretty cool. On another level, I speak of a profound transformation of human consciousness. Not as a distinct future possibility, but available now. No matter who or where you are, you are shown how to free yourself from enslavement uh, to the enslavement to the mind, and enter into this enlightened state of consciousness and sustain it in everyday life. Wow. Wow, it's it's like this, it, you know. I know I've, I've read this book before, but it feels like the very first time. It feels like the very first time. Here we go, on this level. On this level of the book, the words are not always uh, concerned with information but often designed to draw you into this new consciousness as you read. Again and again, I endeavor to take you with me into this timeless state of intense conscious presence in the now, so as to give you a taste of enlightenment. Until you are able to experience what I speak of, you may find these passages somewhat repetitive. As, uh, as soon as you do, however, I believe you will realize that they contain a great deal of spiritual power, and they may become, for you, the most rewarding parts of the book. Moreover, since every person carries a seat of enlightenment within, I often address myself to the knower in you. I often address myself to the knower in you, who dwells behind the thinker, the deeper self that is immediately recognized, that immediately recognizes spiritual truth, resonates with it, and gains strength from it. The pause symbol, and he shows a little symbol here, uh, often, after certain passages, is a suggestion that you may want to stop reading for a moment, become still, and feel and experience the truth of what has just been said. There may be other places in the text where you will do this naturally and spontaneously. As you begin reading this book, the meaning of certain words such as being or presence may not be entirely clear to you at first. Just read on. Questions or objections uh, will occasionally come within your mind as you read. Mm. Uh, They will probably be answered later in the book, as they may turn out to be irrelevant as you go more deeply into the reading, into the teaching, and into yourself. Don't read with the mind only, it says. Watch out for any feeling response. As you read, and a sense of recognition comes from deep within. Okay, let's read that again. Watch out for any feeling response as you read, and a sense of recognition from deep within. I cannot tell you any spiritual truth Uh, that deep within you don't already know. All I can do is remind you of what you have forgotten. Living knowledge, ancient and yet yet ever new, is then reactivated and released from within every cell of your body. Nice. Nice, eh? Uh, The mind always wants to categorize and compare the mind. Judging, the old judging mind. This book will work better for you if you do not attempt to compare its terminology with that of other teachings. Otherwise, you will probably become confused. I use words such as mind and happiness and unconsciousness in ways that do not necessarily correlate with other teachings. Don't get attached to any words. They are only stepping stones to be left behind as quickly as possible. When I occasionally quote the words of Jesus or the Buddha... Uh, from A Course in Miracles or from other teachings, I do so not in order to compare but to draw your attention to the fact that in essence there is and always has been only one spiritual teaching, although it comes in many forms. Some of these forms, such as the ancient religions, have become so overlaid with the extraneous matter that their spiritual essence has become almost uh, completely obscured. Uh, To a large extent, therefore, their deeper meaning is no longer recognized, and their transformational power lost. When I quote from the ancient religions or other teachings, it is to reveal uh, their deeper meaning and thereby restore their transformational power. Particularly uh, for those readers who are followers of uh, these religions or teachings, I say to them, there is no need to go elsewhere for the truth. Let me show you how to go more deeply into what you already have. Pretty cool. Mostly, however, I've endeavored to use terminology that is as neutral as possible in order to reach a wide range of people. This book can be seen as a uh, restatement uh, for our time of that one timeless spiritual teaching. The essence of all religions is not derived from external sources but from the one true source within. So it contains no theory or speculation. I speak from inner experience. And if at times I speak forcefully, if if at times I speak forcefully, it is to cut through heavy layers of mental resistance and to reach that place within you where you already know, just as I know, uh, where the truth is recognized and where the truth is recognized when it is heard. Uh, there is then a feeling of uh, uh, exaltation and a heightened aliveness. As something within you says, yes, I know this is true. Hmm. So that's the end of the forwards. And I'm going to read on. So chapter one, you are not your mind. You are not your mind. Isn't that great? You know, I, I... we have a meditation group here that meets on Monday evenings and, and that's one of the things that we talk about. I, I, you know, encourage them to recognize that their mind is a tool and, uh, and it's a great tool. It's, a, it's, you know, it's, it, it helps us to get through the day and it's kind of been programmed, you know, by, um, our conditioned thinking by your mother and your grandmother and, uh, um, you know, and, and maybe your mother and your grandmother weren't happy. And so, uh, you know, the programming that, that we have in, in, in that mind is, uh, is unhappy programming. And so we're going to uh, talk a lot about that in this book, I'm sure. And, uh, and ways to, uh, uh, in a way, shift the programming, because it will as we get more connected with the inner self, but also in a ways to let go of it, to, to surrender and uh, move to a higher consciousness. I'll bet you're interested in that. I am. Okay. He starts out chapter one. You are not your mind. The greatest obstacle to enlightenment. Enlightenment? He says, what is that? A beggar had been sitting by the side of the road for over 30 years. One day a stranger walked by and, spare some change, mumbled the beggar, mechanically holding out his old baseball cap, "'I have nothing to give you,' said the stranger. "'Then he asked, "'What's that you're sitting on?' "'Nothing,' replied the beggar. "'Just an old box. "'I've been sitting on it for as long as I can remember.' "'Ever looked inside?' asked the the stranger. "'No,' said the beggar. "'What's the point?' "Uh, "'There's nothing in there.' "'Have a look inside,' insisted the stranger. "'The beggar managed to pry open the lid. "'With astonishment, disbelief, and elation, "'he saw that the box was filled with gold.' (laughs) Hmm. I am that stranger who has nothing to give you and who is telling you to look inside not inside any box uh, as in the parable but uh, somewhere even closer inside yourself Uh, but I am not a beggar I hear you say Uh, those who have not found their true wealth which is the radiant joy of being and the deep unshakable peace that comes with it are beggars Even if they have great material wealth, they are looking outside for scraps of pleasure or fulfillment, for validation, security or love, while they have a treasure within that not only includes all those things, but is infinitely greater than anything the world can offer. Wow. The word enlightenment conjures up the idea of some superhuman accomplishment, and the ego likes to keep it that way. But it is simply your natural state of felt oneness with being. It is a state of connectedness. It is a state of connectedness with something immeasurable, and indestructible. Something that almost paradoxically is essentially you, and yet is much greater than you. It is a finding. It is finding your true nature beyond name and form. The inability to feel this connectedness gives rise to the illusion of separation from yourself and from the world around you. You then perceive yourself, consciously or unconsciously, as an isolated fragment. Fear arises and conflict within and without becomes the norm. Wow. I love the Buddha's simple definition of enlightenment as the end of suffering. There's nothing superhuman in that, is there? Of course, as a definition, it is incomplete. It only tells you what enlightenment is not, no suffering. Uh, but that's left. Uh, but what's left when there is no more suffering? The Buddha is silent on that. And his silence implies that you'll have to find out for yourself. He Uses a negative definition so that the mind cannot make it into something to believe in or um, into a superhuman accomplishment, a goal that is impossible for you to attain. Despite this precaution, the majority of Buddhists still believe that enlightenment is for the Buddha, not for them, at least not in this lifetime. You use the word being. Can you explain what you mean by that? Oh so there's questions and answers. Being is the external, ever present, one life beyond the myriad forms of life that is that are subject to birth and death. However, being is not only beyond but also deep within every form as its innermost. Invisible and indestructible essence. This means that it is uh, accessible to you now as your own deepest self. Your true nature. But don't try, but don't seek to grasp it with your mind. Uh, don't try to understand it. You can know it only when your mind is still. When you are present. When your attention is fully and intensely in the now. Being can be felt but it can never be understood mentally. To regain awareness of being and to abide in the state of self-realization is enlightenment. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. That's a pretty good description. To be, to regain awareness of being and to abide in that state of Feeling realization is enlightenment. When you say being, are you talking about God? If you are, then why don't you say it? The word God has become empty of meaning through thousands of years of misuse. I use it sometimes, but I do so sparingly. Uh, By misuse, I mean that people who have never even glimpsed the realm of the sacred the infinite vastness beyond that, behind that word, use it with great conviction, as if they knew what they are talking about, or they argue against it, as if they knew what it is that they are denying. This misuse gives rise to absurd beliefs, assertions, and egoic delusions, such as, my or our God is the only true God or your God is false, or Nietzsche's famous statement uh, God is dead, Nietzsche, Nietzsche's famous statement God is dead. The word God has become a closed concept. Uh, the moment the word is uttered, a mental image is created. No longer perhaps of an old man with a white beard, but still a mental image uh, mental, mental representation of someone or something outside of you, and yes, almost invariably a male, someone or something. So, neither God, nor being, nor any other word can define or explain the infallible reality behind the word. So, the only important question is whether the word is a help or a hindrance in enabling you to experience that toward which it points. Does it uh, point? Uh, beyond itself to that transcendental reality or does it lead itself too easily to becoming no more than an idea in your head that you believe in a mental idol the word being explains nothing nor does God being however has the advantage that it uh, is an open concept it does not uh, reduce the uh, infallible it does not reduce the in, in, infinite, in, um, invisible, to a finite entity. It is impossible to form a mental image of being of it. Nobody can claim exclusive possession of being. It is your very essence. It is the immediate, uh, immediate. It is immediately accessible to you as the feeling of your own presence, the realization. I am, that is prior to I am this or I am that. It is only a small step from the word being to the experience of being. Hmm. Sweet. What is the greatest obstacle to experience this reality? Wow, he's getting right into it in the first chapter, isn't he? Wow. What is the greatest obstacle? to experiencing this reality. Identification with your mind, which causes thought to become compulsive, uh, not to be able to stop thinking, is a dreadful affliction. But we don't realize this because almost everyone is suffering from it. Uh, So it is considered normal. Identification with your mind which causes thought to become compulsive. Not to be able to stop thinking is a dreadful affliction, but we don't realize this because almost everybody is suffering from it, so it is considered normal. This incessant mental noise prevents you from finding that realm of inner stillness that is inseparable from being. It is also It also creates a false mind-made self that casts a shadow of fear and suffering. We will look at all that in more detail later. The philosopher Descartes believes that he had found the most fundamental truth when he made his famous statement, "I think, therefore I am." He had, in fact, given expression to the basic, the most basic error, uh, to equate thinking with being and identify with thinking. The compulsive thinker, which means almost everyone, lives in a state of apparent separateness in an insanely complex world of continuous problems and conflict, a world that reflects the ever-increasing fragmentation of the mind. Enlightenment is a state of wholeness, of being at one, and therefore at peace, at one with life in its manifested aspects, the world as well as with your deepened self and life unmanifest, at one with being. Enlightenment is not only the end of suffering and of uh, continuous conflict within and without, but also the end of dreadful enslavement of insistent thinking, which is incredibly liberation. Uh, What an incredible liberation this is. Identification with your mind creates an opaque screen of concepts and labels and images and words and judgments and definitions that block all true relationships. It comes between you and yourself, between you and your fellow man and women, between you and nature, between you and God. It is this screen of thought that creates the illusion of separateness, the illusion that there is you and a total separate others. You then forget the essential fact that underneath the level of physical appearance and separate forms, You are one with all that is. By forget, I mean that you can no longer feel this oneness as self-evident reality. You may believe it to be true, but you no longer know it to be true. A belief may be confronting. A belief may be confronting. Comforting. Yeah. Not confronting. A belief may be comforting. Only uh, through our own experience, however, does it become liberating. Hmm. Thinking has become a disease. Disease happens when things get out of balance. For example, there's nothing wrong with cells dividing and multiplying in the body, but when this process continues to disregard the total organism, cells, proliferate, and, and we have disease. Hmm. want to remind you I'm reading uh, um, The Power of Now wow the mind is a superb instrument if used rightly if used wrongly however it becomes destructive Uh, to put it more accurately it is not so much that you use your mind wrongly you usually don't use it at all it uses you and this is the disease you believe that you are your mind this is delusion. The instruments have been, have taken you over. <laughs> the instrument has taken you over, and then it goes. It's kind of interesting because that's him speaking, and now this, is, the next is a question. I don't quite agree. This person says, "It is is it is true that I do a lot of aimless thinking, like most people, but I can still choose." to use my mind to get and accomplish things and i do that all the time he's answering just because you can solve a crossword puzzle or build an atom bomb doesn't mean that you use your mind just as dogs love to chew bones the mind loves to get its teeth into problems that's why it becomes cro- that's why it does crossword puzzles and uh, builds atom bombs Uh, You have no uh, interest in either. You have no interest in either. Uh, Let me ask you this. Can you be free of your mind whenever you want? Whenever you want to? Have you found the off button? Hmm. You mean stop thinking altogether? No, I can't. Except maybe for a moment or two. Then the mind is using you. You are unconsciously identified with it. So you don't even know... Uh, That you are its slave. It's almost as if you were possessed without knowing it. And so you take the possessing entity to be yourself. Uh, The beginning of freedom is a realization that you are not the possessing entity, the thinker. Knowing this enables you to observe the entity. The moment you start watching the thinker, a higher level of consciousness becomes activated. You then begin to realize that there is a vast realm of intelligence beyond thought. That thought is only a tiny aspect of that intelligence. You also realize that all the things that truly matter, beauty, love, creativity, joy, inner joy, arise from beyond the mind. You begin to awaken. Wow. I think that's as far as I'm going to go today. I, I, am uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. Two o'clock. Um, <laughs> so we're only on page 17 really just getting started but uh, I'll, I'll come back maybe even to read a little bit tomorrow um, and, uh, but we'll post and I'll probably post this uh, also on, uh, on YouTube um, so you can have a look at that and, and uh, um, also just want you to know that we have a meditation group here on Monday evenings um, come and, uh, and sit with us on Monday evenings um, that would be wonderful, and yeah, we can awaken together. Project Awakening, you guys. Um, and uh, I don't know if, you, if you're aware, but uh, I have uh, these meditation kits, uh, the stools and the altars and, and all that kind of stuff. Maybe uh, order one of those from. You can get to uh, um, to my on- online shop. There's a link there on the Facebook page somewhere. And uh, uh, love you and. We're on the road to freedom. Isn't that great? Uh, you know, and, and we recognize that, that we're that the trap that we're in is in the mind that we think is us. And uh, when you meditate, just watch the mind and watch how it, the thoughts run through and, and, and when you're trying to meditate or when you're sitting and recognize that if you can see the thoughts running through the mind, then already you've realized there's somebody else watching the mind there's the you behind the mind that's watching the mind and then even beyond that there's another watcher and uh, it's a beautiful thing to realize that you are not the mind the mind is a tool and, uh, um, and the real you is beyond that mind unless you're trapped in the mind you know, we'll help you get out okay love